Well, as, as most of you know, um, I have uh, two daughters and a child on the way. And um, I guess I share this because um, one of the things I've realized in parenting is that it's really easy for most of us to look at the way someone else is parenting, whether they're ahead of us or, or kind of in the same place, and we can really quickly come to a conclusion on how, they, how good of a parent they are or aren't. Um, if you don't have your Bibles, turn, or if you don't have a Bible, slip your hands up, the ushers are coming. If you can turn with us to Matthew 7, that's where we are today. Um, I have a couple stories about my kids. Um, I'm pretty sure that I'm slowly ruining them in a number of regards, but then there's also a, a lot of aspects of things that I've realized that I actually don't have any control over. And, and I say that because, you know, like it's pretty easy for me to say, like, my child said that because I said that or did that because that's what I do. But then there's those times, and if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. There's those times where they did something where you have no idea where they learned it, but you're confident it wasn't you. I'll use a couple examples. Um, one time when Ava was really little, she climbed our bunk beds and was hanging from the ceiling fan screaming, Dad, Mom, Mom, Dad. And so Jen went in there actually because she's faster than I am. Don't tell anyone. Um, and she got Ava down off the fan. And, and the point is, is that Ava has never seen Jen or I hanging from a ceiling fan. I can promise you that. Like, it just hasn't. Like, she didn't see dad one day going, this is fun. Like, so she just decided to do that on her own. Another instance, and this is one of those stories that she's going to hate me for later on, but she was in the bathroom, and she screams for, for Jen. My mo- she's like, mommy, mommy, come in here. And, she, and Jen comes in, and Ava's standing on the, kit, the bathroom counter over the sink, and she peed in the sink. Now, I can tell you, I promise you, she's never seen Jen or I do that, okay? But she just did it. When asked, like, what are you doing? She's like, I was curious. And I'm like, I can't help but kind of want to high-five her for curiosity. Like, that's pretty awesome. But at the same point, we didn't have anything to do with that. Like, if you were to say, well, you're a bad parent because your child hangs from a ceiling fan, well, I mean, okay, you know, maybe, I mean, great. But I had no say in that. But then there are other things that she does or that our kids do um, that I can actually kind of blame on on those around her. And I'll use another example. In the last two years, I don't know, maybe Ava was about three, um, I remember going in the house, and I, I forgot something, so I was like, oh, and I go back out in the garage, and I grab whatever, and I come back in, and Jen says, guess what your daughter just said? I'm like, what'd she say? She said, oh, crap. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. You know what? Your dad, we have him around him all the time, and it's just, his mouth is so bad. She's like, Brent, Brent, stop. You just said that before you walked out the door, and it's true. What I didn't tell you in the story is I had forgotten something outside, and so I was like, oh, crap, and I went outside, and my three-year-old decided to repeat that. And it's not that that's a horrible word, but when you hear anything that you say, whether it's sarcastic or anything else, you hear it come out of a three-year-old's mouth, it's amazing how much horribler it sounds, how much worse it sounds. And my point is, is that I was completely blind to the fact that 30 seconds prior, I had said the very thing that she had said. I mean, 30 seconds ago, and I'd already forgotten that I had said it, and I instantly wanted to blame her dad, who, let's be honest, probably says it too, and that's probably fair. He, he, he maybe had said that and worse in front of her. But I wanted to blame him for something that I had done. And see, that's the crazy thing about our junk, our messy life, our, our, our own personalities, is that, is that we are so blinded, so blinded to the actual things, the problems, and the issues of our own, that we will, instead of looking at ourselves, instead of seeing what God is trying to show us, we will point the finger at someone else and never really own anything. And so Jesus, it, we're, we're in Matthew 7, Jesus um, we've been working through the Sermon on, on the Mount where he's at and, and, and through Matthew, and he just 
laid out for us kind of here's what the standard of righteousness is. It needs to surpass that of the Pharisees and talked about the Beatitudes and what, what does it mean to be blessed and, and then went into the, the section of you've heard but let me tell you what it really means and then he hits the sections of here are all the spiritual things that you've wanted to do, here are all the right things to do and here's how we can do those with the wrong motivation. And then he kind of turns this section and he goes into this whole do nots and last week or two weeks ago was do not be anxious. Don't be anxious. It doesn't, there's no value in it. It's not, it's not worth doing at all. Don't be anxious. And then this week, in Matthew 7, verses 1 through 6, um, the heading is, is judging others, which we love talking about this one. Um, Matthew 7, 1 through 6. Judge not that you, be, that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them under your feet and turn to attack you. And this is one of the most paralyzing sets of Scripture. Because, because for us, let's be honest, at the church, like any one of us, if you've spent any time around a Christian in your life, there's been an instance where you have been judged or you've had to judge. And most of the time, it's done fairly poorly. But what I think is really awesome is that Jesus comes at this, instead of hitting this really hard subject and, and condemning us to the idea of like, well, look, whatever measure you judge, it's going to be judged at you. He gives us hyperbole. He actually brings a joke. And the reason why I say that is because he says, why would you look at the speck or the splinter in someone else's eye? By the way, have you ever had a splinter in your eye? Is anyone, I, I'm just curious. It's got to hurt. Okay, first off, like I've had some in my hands and they're annoying and they're painful. I can't imagine one in the eye. But Jesus says, you're looking at the splinter in someone else's eye when all along you have a log in your own eye. Now, I'm not quite sure what that would, how that would actually stay put. And this is a small one, but the plank, the word he's talking about is usually a 16-foot, like, he says you have that in your eye. So he's making a joke. He's saying, look, it's ridiculous, ridiculous for you to judge someone to help them deal with a splinter when you have a plank, a log sticking out of your eye. And again, like I said, I, I'm... I'm weird about eyes, so I won't even pretend to put that in my eye, but I'm pretty sure that none of us have ever had a log in our eye, let alone a splinter. And the point isn't necessarily the splinter or the log. It's the motivation. It's the context in which he's talking about it here. And see, the reason why this is such a paralyzing section is that he's saying, man, don't, don't look at someone else's speck when you have a log. Don't, don't, don't judge them when you have issues. And so a lot of times we just kind of stand still and go, I, I don't know where to go. And so I wanted to give some maybe modern day um, examples of speck and log because I don't, like I said, I'm not sure most of us have dealt with that. So let me use one. Uh, it's telling someone they shouldn't text and drive and then having your wife gently, lovingly remind you that you shouldn't be Facebooking while driving. That's something I've done. <laughs> right? There's a speck log. Hey, you shouldn't be texting while driving and then, oh, look at that Facebook message. Um, anyways, uh, it's it's calling out someone's drunkenness. You should never be drunk. Don't you ever get drunk, but then being perfectly fine with getting just a little tipsy over and over and over again. Or not being able to actually go in life without alcohol. It's condemning someone for what they've done and then saying, you know what, I'm okay with getting a little tipsy. It's condemning a homosexual relationship while you're sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Is that too serious? It's being mad at men that buy trafficked women, but then spending evenings on porn. 
See, Jesus is making a, a point here. It's not that one or the other is okay. They're both bad. He said having a splinter in your eye isn't great. But what he's saying is it's silly for us to look at someone and condemn them in one regard when we're really doing the same thing, just change the name, the situation, or the experience. And most of us, we're so good at feeling like we're the anomaly. No one has ever dealt with this before, and our context is perfect, and so we can twist all this scripture to make it work for our context and what makes sense for us, and so we can feel better about ourselves. And that's why this is such a paralyzing text, because most of us would then just say, well, don't judge. In fact, the church is seen from anyone outside of the church as, oh, the church is so condemning. They're always judging me. And then some of us will run to the other extreme where it's like, well, we have to share truth, and so we, we come in and hammer people with truth, but we forget the whole grace part. And then some of us think we're extending an immense amount of grace, but withholding truth, and both of those are wrong. And so what does Jesus mean? What is he saying in this? And so we're going we're gonna to dig into it a little bit first. First, I want to, there, there are three things that this text isn't saying. And this is important for you to hear. The first one is that he's saying, he's not saying don't ever judge someone. Okay, he's not saying that. We'll talk about what that means in a second. The second is, is he's not saying we have to approve of everything. We, we think just because it's offensive or it's not politically correct that we have to approve of all the behaviors in the world and make that okay. That's not what he's saying here. And he's not saying that there is no absolute truth. In fact, Jesus said some really hard things. Out of his mouth came, drink my blood, eat my flesh, die to yourself. And then the most polarizing thing he said, you know what he said is, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. So Jesus isn't saying that there is no absolute truth. And the thing about truth is, is that truth is meant to be truth. So that means that there are things that aren't truth. And therefore, when you communicate truth or you live truth, you're going to polarize some of us use that as an excuse to be really harsh. Again, we're supposed to do it in gentleness and grace. But there is truth. And Jesus is very clear about what it means to follow him and how he lines himself up as the truth. And we've just been working through Matthew, and Matthew's laying this out as Jesus is our king. We are his servant. He is our master. And so there is truth. So Jesus isn't saying, you know what, like we should just, even though you know, we don't want to be politically incorrect. We don't want to hurt someone's feelings, so we should just water down truth and make it seem nice. He's not saying that. And just a few verses later, Jesus commands us to know ourselves and others by the fruit of our life. So there has to be some form of discernment, some form of, of me to be able to look at someone else and say, I, I can see fruit in your life. I can, I can see it. So he's, he's telling us that, look, a Christian's to show unconditional love but we're not called to unconditional approval. And here's the thing. I know this is a radical thing to think about. You can actually love someone without approving of their behavior. You can, that can actually happen. It's hard, but there's a way to love someone without approving or, you know, validating their, 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 their whatever they're dealing with. There's a way to actually love someone and not do that. So Jesus isn't saying that we have to approve of everyone at all costs. No, our approval comes from God alone. My life is deemed justified in Christ alone, nothing else. And he's not saying don't judge because there's too many other texts, like the one I just said, a few verses later we'll hit in a couple weeks, and also Galatians 6.1. Brothers, this is Paul speaking, the Apostle Paul. If, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, if any transgression, caught, struggling, fighting in any sin, 
You who are spiritual, you who are a follower, a disciple of mine, should restore him in a spirit of what? This gentleness. We forget that part. We love to restore people, but forget the gentleness part. So Jesus is, 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 is not in any way contradicting himself or any of the other scripture where he's saying, no, we need to judge. But how do we do it? And I think what, jo- what, what Jesus is doing is he's, 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 he's laying out for us a posture, a posture of how you and I could do this. First thing I think we need to define, the word, the word judge here is it actually carries the weight of condemning. So when he says do not judge, do not condemn, he's basically saying, Bren, you can't condemn someone else. You condemn someone else, that's the same level at which they're gonna, you're going to be condemned. Because what, really, let's be honest, me condemning someone, I, I kind of feel like I get to be God. And I think one of the biggest and most blinding issues in this is that the biggest log that most of us have in our life is self-righteousness. We have this self-righteousness about how our standard is right and how we're right, and therefore because we're right, we feel like we can, we can take everyone else instead of being here with us and we can kind of put them underneath us. And we can, we can approach them in this way. See, and here's the other thing. Most of our, our judgments... They're not really judgments. I mean, we can say they're observations. We observe how someone dresses. We observe how someone parents. We observe in the way they say. Some of you right now are observing how I'm communicating this. <laughs> Going, I could do that better. The problem is, is that that observation, because of the posture we hold, becomes judgment. It becomes, I'm better than you. You're less than me. I know more than you. I'm right, you're wrong, and we start posturing ourselves in a condemning way. We start posturing ourselves in a, in a position of, well, I'm God, and you're not. Usually, the issue is, the, the issue with this, the issue with us judging, because if we're still supposed to do it, usually the issue is an inaccurate view of one of three things, an inaccurate view of God and who he is, an, an inaccurate view of who we are, an inaccurate view of so, who someone else is. It's really, basically, most of the time, it's like, I'm God, I'm great, and you're not. That's essentially what we're dealing with. We're dealing with the fact that I've, I believe that I can sit in a spot of condemning someone else. I am right, and they are wrong, and therefore, it is my duty to change them. That's like taking credit for m- my duty to save someone. When we all believe, hopefully, truth, that it's God who opens the hearts. It's him who removes the heart of stone and puts in a heart of flesh. I'm just a I'm just a, a servant, a pawn to his, his work. So I guess the question is, why would you take God's role? See this through. If you've been judgmental towards someone or you've, you've condemned someone, what you've said, you see a lie. And a lot of time, let's be honest, a lot of it is truth. Man, you shouldn't be doing that with your boyfriend or girlfriend. Or you, you shouldn't treat your, your spouse that way. Or you shouldn't treat your children that way. A lot of it's, it's done in truth. But the problem is, is what we are doing is we are assuming that we understand the motives of that person's heart. And let's be honest, that person sometimes doesn't even understand their motives. God is the only one that can say completely, I understand the motives at which you're doing something or not doing something. It's interesting because Jesus says if you, you judge on those things, that's how you'll be judged. So if I judge you on external actions... 
I judge you on, on any of those things, I'm then saying that I'm worthy of being judged on those external actions. And here's the thing. I'm really glad that I'm justified in Christ alone and not on anything I do or don't do. So why would we stand in God's shoes and say that I can condemn? Maybe the issue is, is that we have this self-righteous view and an inaccurate view of the kingdom. Jesus is going to spend a whole bunch of time talking about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is this, and he's going to say some really confusing parable. And we're gonna, well, I don't really know what it is yet. But there are aspects of it we understand. First off, we know that it's going to be multi-generational, and, and there's going to be every race and every nation. And we love, we love hearing the kingdom of God like that. But you know what we struggle with? Saying that the kingdom of God is going to include rapists, murderers, thieves, judgmental people, addicts. That's where we go, oh, hang on. Now, how, how's that work? The, the reason why I say that works is because anyone, no matter what they've done, redeemed by Christ is a part of the kingdom of God. And so when I start attacking someone out of judgment and standing above them, I'm basically attacking the fact that I don't believe the kingdom of God should involve that person. I'm, I'm thinking that that person is out of God's reach. That person doesn't deserve God's grace. That person is less than me. I'm feeling better about myself a lot of times. If I look down on them, if I say, wow, I'm not as bad as those people, whew, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. So what do you do with this text? How do we, how do we move forward? I think the issue is, is that Jesus does teach us that there's a way to go about this. He does teach us, first off, that we do have to judge. So the whole, like, you're just, you never don't judge, and we love putting up, you know, scriptures on Facebook about how we just never judge. No, we are called to judge, not condemn. Very big difference. Not, not stand over in right self-righteousness over someone else. We are called to judge. In fact, I think the biggest point of this text is that he says at the end, remove it out of your eye first so that you can help your brother. He actually wants us to help each other. This is a very big case and point for the kingdom of God and the fact that we need each other. God wants us to do life with each other. It's interesting because I, I really struggle. Like as a parent, I can control Ava and Olivia and tell them what they have to do and what they have to do and what they have to do. But, but that's not really going to work. I can stand and say, well, I know right, so therefore you know wrong, and I can... Man, I feel good about myself. I'm smarter than a five-year-old most of the time. But that's not the point. The point is, is that we are to, to our, I'm to, to train them in the way that they should go. I'm to disciple them. And you know what's funny is Jesus puts that same expectation on all of us. Whether you're a parent or not, you're to disciple me. I'm to disciple you. We're to submit to one another out of reverence for who Christ is in our life. So this whole like, well, I don't need anyone else or I can just, I can go on and I, you know what, just stay out, mind your own business, I'll mind my own business is not the kingdom of God. So he gives us the right way to go about this. First off, I want you to know is that judge, we are to judge out of a concern to help others from sin to holiness. Not from something that you don't like the way they do it into more like you. Not, you know, well, I, I, just, I just don't think that's fair. 
No, it's, it's from sin to holiness. From sin to holiness. It's not our own standard. It's, it's what we know the Bible says is true, and I understand that can be interpretations, and that's where it gets messy. That's where I think grace comes in, but, but what we know is true. That's how we are to help you one another. We're not to do it in a posture of, I'm better than you. I'm better than you is, is the worst thing we can do. I think also to do this, we have to first remember what Jesus just came out of saying. As we go through this book, and it feels like it's been months before we were actually at the Beatitudes. But did you remember how it started? How are we to, supposed to posture ourselves? We're to, we're to be poor in spirit. We're to hunger and thirst for righteousness. We're to be full of meekness and hum- humility. Someone who can actually mourn over their own sinful state. See, that's the posture at which I come to a brother or sister in Christ. It's I don't have it figured out. I'm only really in a good spot because of what Christ has done and not because of what I've done. See, when we repent of our standard of righteousness, our self or our self-righteousness, we begin to see clearly who God is. See, when we repent that, it's like it's not my standard. We begin so, so quickly, we can start seeing who God is, and then in turn, as we start to see him for who he is, we start to understand better who we are and who others are. See, Jesus says this word in verse 3. He says, notice. How did you not notice the log in your own eye? For us, that's a simple word. We just say that, but the, actual, the, 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 the definition of that word actually conveys the idea of serious, continuous meditation. Meaning I'm going to seriously take notice of whatever sin is in my life. I'm not going to half, half-hearted just walk along and hope something happens. No, I'm going to seriously look at my own life and I'm going to meditate on that and I'm going to search it and I'm going to pre- present it before God and I'm going to open my hands up and say, God, change me. Serious meditation. So the first thing we need to do is in effect, Jesus is saying, stop and think about your own sin. That's one of the things I think it's so easy for us to, to miss this is that he's asking us to actually stop and think about what sin's in our life. In fact, I love uh, Psalm 51. I think it says it perfectly. Psalm 51. If we could just pray this prayer every single day in our own lives. 51, 10 through 13. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from, from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. See, the the posture is, is God, search me. God, show me. Reveal to me. Maybe it is just a splinter in my eye. It's still a splinter in your eye. It's not fun. But reveal it to me. So the posture is that none of us are immune to our own shortcomings. None of us. We, 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 don't, we don't get to say that I've got it figured out and that I'm immune to all sin in this world because that's not the case. Now, here's the beautiful thing. All sin in my life when redeemed by Christ is, is paid for. The wrath of God has been poured out, the condemnation of God has been poured out on Christ in my place. So I get to stand before him justified, redeemed. 
But here's the other posture in this. We need each other. We're in desperate need of each other in our lives to continue to point us to his truth and to being more like Christ. The reason why I know this is because most of us are going to look at, whether we would verbalize it or not, we're going to look at someone else's life and we're going to say, that's wrong, that's evil, that's not right. Whatever we're going to say, we're going to make that observation. And usually it's an observation, I mean, hopefully it's usually an observation of someone you know. Not just some random Joe going by and you have some observation about them. That's a, another form of judgment that isn't healthy. But I mean literally an observation or a judgment or a call of someone like, man, I can't believe they're treating their spouse that way. I can't believe they're doing that to their children. I can't believe they keep doing that to themselves. And we're going to have that thought. It's going to come in our head. Why? Because if we're part of God's kingdom and we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, he's going to continue to push us to his truth. He's going to continue to reveal to us his truth. And then the problem is, is that a lot of times we'll look at it and say, I can't believe they did that. How dare they fill in the blank? And really the worst position we could be in is me condemning someone else for what they're doing and then just change the circumstances, the names, and the setting a little bit and have me do the very same thing because what I'm saying is what they're doing is wrong so I know better, but yet I'm still doing it over here in a totally different light. I mean, even that's, I think, what Jesus is saying is you're even in a worse spot when you know what you're supposed to do and you still choose not to. That's, that's even worse. And then Jesus says something that is fairly sobering at the end of this text. He says, in teaching this posture, he pulls this whole section about pigs and swines. Or pigs and swines, those are the same, just so you know. <laughs> dogs and swines. And he comes in and says, you know, these, like, don't give what's holy to dogs and, and don't, don't, don't feed or don't put it before the, the, the swines. It seems kind of interesting because Jesus just basically said, don't judge. And then he goes, and, you know, there are people that are going to be dogs and swines. And so make an observation of the fact. And what he's essentially saying is that um, dogs and swines represent people that want nothing to do with the gospel. They'll lash out at you in truth. So here's the thing. Dogs in that day, like we love dogs and we have them as pets and we name them and we put them on leashes and we let them on our furniture and we cuddle them and whatever else. And, and have you ever seen like a little baby potbelly pig? They are so cute, right? I mean like everyone, you can't help but see them be like, oh, right? Okay, I have daughters. Leave me alone. Um, and anyways, they're cute. And the problem is, is that in that day, both the dogs and the pigs, they were not cute. They were wild animals. They were greedy. They were vicious. If you got between them and food, watch out. And so what would happen is on the Day of Atonement, people would present offerings at the altar. They would take them to, to, to present them, and they, they'd take a, an animal, and the animal's blood would be, it'd be killed, and their blood would be spilled, and that would ha- that's how they would atone for their sins. And that meat was, was deemed holy. And so there was a section of meat that was, that was only holy. Sorry, vegans, but there was a section of meat that was, that was so holy that no one could eat it, so therefore they'd burn it. They'd burn it at the altar, and that would be the sacrifice of God. And then there was the next level of meat that was a little less holy or whatever that the priests could eat. And then the next level of meat that was a little less holy, and that was usually most, the majority of the meat, and that's what the family would eat. To give any of that meat to the dogs was ludicrous. Don't give that which is holy. It just was ludicrous. In fact, the thought was that even if you did, you could come in the way of them. They would attack you. They would assault you. And so what Jesus is saying, in essence, at the end of this, is that some of you may go to your brother, and they're not actually your brother. You're going you're gonna to try, try and tell someone of truth, and they're going to lash out at you. 
and they're going to fight you and they're going to punch you on it and they're going to be mad at you. They're going to write you off. In essence, what he's saying is that there's some of you that are kind of like dogs and swines in that you're not really posturing yourself in a way to hear the truth of God. And in some ways, he's freeing us because you may go to someone who you, who you love and you, sit, you can share with them, like, look, this is what the Bible says. You shouldn't be doing this, and I, I love you. And, and they may lash out at you and be offended and hate you. And what he's basically saying is they don't hate you. They hate that which is holy in you. He's, saying this, he's letting it kind of off the hook. Like, look, you, you, they, they're, they're, just, they're not going to be there. So, so for a time, it's, it's kind of pointless to, to keep throwing the gospel at them when they have no desire to hear it, when they're hostile, they're feisty. I think it needs to be said in as uncondemning way as possible. Some of you have treated others like a dog or a swine would. Someone's come to you and said, hey, this is sin. I love you. Or maybe they came to you and they approached you in a totally wrong way. <laughs> but the point was still there, like, hey, this is still a, a log and a splinter. This needs to be dealt with. And you have been hostile to them. You have you've turned your back. You fought, you punched, you pushed argued and you ran further and further and further away from truth because let's be honest it's kind of painful sometimes to see how your life doesn't line up against truth Jesus is saying in essence is that none of us are free from this it'd be really easy for us to go you know what this is too hard I'm not sure if I've dealt with all the logs in my own eye or even the slivers in my own eyes therefore I'm just gonna just gonna leave that all up to God and, and get out of the way but the problem is is that there's too many scriptures where Jesus tells us to engage in this. In fact, um, this is Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 through 24. He says, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies or the teachings of God, but, but test everything. Hold fast what is, what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. We, we are all, if we are children of God, to be engaged with that. We are all, no one is off the hook. No one gets to just kind of go, well, it doesn't apply to me. So Jesus is saying, look, that means that we have to engage in this. And that may mean that someone may show up and they may actually do a really, really poor job of communicating it, but their desire and their heart was to do it in the right way. And here's the thing. I think a lot of us, like it when someone comes and says it to us a little harshly because then we can just justify not listening to it. But let's be honest. If someone sees a splinter in your life and they come and say it, they come and say it harshly and you see that the splinter's still there but you choose not to listen to it because they are harsh, then you're just proving that you actually enjoy this sin. You're just proving that you really don't 
want to be obedient to your king. See, if our identity is in Christ, then that means that there are going to be times someone's going to come to us and they're going to say something. I had a really good friend of mine tell me a few months ago, said, you um, don't speak kindly to these people. And he said, you, you, you know what? It, you, you use humor and you use these jokes, but you really are, you are unkind to them. And I think that you can do better than that. And I think as a man in your position, you should do better than that. That doesn't feel good. You know, and I wanted to be like, oh, you just, you just don't know us. Like, we're, we're good. Like, we're tight. Everything's cool. It's okay. It's okay. But you know what I had to do? I had to go, okay. I want to just misplace it and say, that's just my sense of humor, whatever. That's the way it is. But when I sat down and actually asked God to search my heart, it's amazing how when you're willing, how quickly it is to pluck you from that stuff, to pull that stuff from you. And so... Band's going to come up. We're going we're gonna to worship a little bit more. But before we do, I guess I want to ask some questions. Because in a room this size, I can guarantee that there's probably some of us in this room that someone, a spouse, a friend, a pastor, a sibling, a parent, someone has come to us. And they've been really judgmental. They, they, they verbally assaulted you. They attacked you. They condemned you. They did everything that this scripture doesn't say is true. And you know what you're doing? You're justifying the bitterness in your heart because of the way you were treated. And that's saying, look at their sin, my sin's okay. So I'd ask you, is there bitterness in your heart because someone came to you? Was there any truth or validity to what was said, but just it was said so poorly you didn't hear it? Some of you, you have friends, spouses, kids, co-workers that have been claiming Christ and they're just, it's like you know, not even a preferential thing. It's like, man, that does not line up with what Jesus is saying and God has placed you in their life to gently, to graciously, to lovingly rebuke them. And it's scary. Some of you, some of you, you've been rebuked and the person wasn't even that rude. But as someone that's had the opportunity to do that with people, it's really hard. There's no real easy way to come to someone and tell them, like, hey, this doesn't line up with Christ. So maybe if we just postured ourselves a little differently and said, you know what, what they did wasn't really easy to do, but they did it because they truly love God and they love me, I think our life would look a lot, a lot different. Some of you have been hiding behind truths in the Bible to be hostile to other people. Don't forget that God was, Jesus was both full of grace and full of truth. He never presented himself before anyone without the fullness of both. And that's the standard at which we are to live. You're not going to save anyone. He's not putting that weight on you. He's not expecting you. If you don't say something, watch out, the world will fall apart, but he's inviting you to be a part of this. And as his kingdom, I tend to think we're a lot more connected than we want to be. Our shoulders rub a lot more than sometimes we're comfortable with. So maybe it's, it's time for us to, to posture ourselves in a way that we can receive correction because God will use those around us and we will posture ourselves in a way that we will not run from truth. We will not hide behind the banner of grace just to not share truth with someone that he's put us in relationship with. We pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. 
in a room this size, I can guarantee there are people in this room that have been confronted. And God, they were confronted um, in a spirit of humility. They were, God. And because of their own pride, their own fear, they've, they've been hostile to them. They've run from that truth. God, may you break their hearts down for that. God, for the room this side, I, uh, I can guarantee there's a number of us that have been confronted, condemned in a horrible way. And that is just not you, God. That is not how you work. Um, would you just uh, relieve us of that? Would you, would you remove any bitterness or anger from us? Bring us back to your grace. God, for those of us that are holding a standard that isn't your standard, would you just strip that from us? God, for those of us that are excusing your standards for our comfort, God, rebuke us. Cut away at us. Produce fruit in a way that we, we look more like your son, Jesus Christ. God, may we be a people that truly posture ourselves where we believe there's valid, valid truth and it's important truth and that's in Jesus Christ and the work he did for us on the cross. It's in the person of him alone and may we, may we run towards that truth in a way that we can spur on and courage and gentleness those around us to do the same. May we not be paralyzed by your truth here and feeling fear of what to say and what not to say, but God, may we just pray Psalm 51 of our heart truly, truly search us, God. Now, for those of us that continually ignore the log in our own eye, oh man, I just pray you wreak havoc on our weeks. I pray you press hard into us where we have to answer the question finally at the middle of this week or the middle of this night this week where are you enough to sustain me in all this? So I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your work and I thank you for um, allowing us to be people that get a partner in your kingdom work today. May we never lose sight of our position in that and that is as your servant and your servant alone. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.